My name's Corey, and uh, I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. And I wanted to remind those of you who are partners, uh, who took a partnership commitment form, uh, to return that hopefully by next week. If that's news to you and you missed that memo, we sent an email out, and there are extra commitment forms at the welcome desk, so you can grab one there, sign it out, and uh, if you're going to bring it back and uh, sign that commitment form, we'd love to have it back next week. But we've been having a great time uh, over the course of the beginning of the year thinking about what it means to be church, and how do we be the church, and what does that look like in our context, and now we're kind of moving into a different context. And so we spent the first four weeks of the year talking about what we hold as dear. What are things for GFC that are important to us as we think about being the church in our context, in our location, and, and how we see things moving forward, and what are going to be the defining things of how we decide to do church and be the church in our area. And now we've switched gears. We started a new series last week where we walked into the book of Revelation. Now, sometimes when I say we're going to talk about Revelation, we think end times, prophecy, confusing things, left behind series. Okay, so we think about those terms. Well, early in Revelation, before we get to some of that more difficult and hard to understand stuff, there are letters written to churches. And so what we're doing is walking through each one of those churches to see what Jesus has to say to those churches and then what we can glean from that, right? So we, we look at letters to a church that was around 2,000 years ago. We have to be careful what we take and what we say this applies to us, but we've been trying to dig in and say what are these principles that we can glean and what can we learn from them. So the number seven became very significant for us last week. And so there are seven churches, like I said, so we're going to go through a church per week. And so these seven churches, remember, again, we think about Revelation, we think future. These churches had been established for some time when the letter was written. Just to remind you of the timeline, okay? Jesus is born around 4 AD, somewhere around there. He's here for 33 years, so that takes us to about 37 A.D., and Revelation was written in about 90 to 95 A.D. So when we think about that, we're going, okay, 50 to 60 years. These churches were probably founded within the first 15 to 20 years of Jesus ascending back into heaven, and so that means that they've had a couple of decades, maybe even 30 years, to establish as churches. And so this isn't a future thing. This isn't just prophecy. This is Jesus looking at churches that had existed for some time and saying, this is, what I, this is the message that I have to send to you. And so that's where these seven stars come in. We, we learned last week, if we go back to chapter one, that these stars are indicative of messengers or angels. Both those words are used in interpretations. And when we look at that, some people disagree. Some people think those are actual angels that have a connection with that church. Some people think these were just messengers who John would give this message from Jesus to that messenger and they would take it to the church. Whatever the case is, one of the things that we want to recognize is that there is a very special relationship between Jesus and the church. We talk a lot at times about our relationship with Jesus, our personal relationship with Jesus, and those, that's very important. But there's also a second level where Jesus says, I am intently paying attention to what's happening in the church, so much so that I'm keeping track of these specific seven and other churches, and I have a message for them. And so it's really cool to think about the idea that Jesus doesn't just say, okay, church, go, right? He's, he's keeping up and, and intently aware of what's happening uh, in the church body. And then there's this idea of, of lampstands, and we talked about that last week, that that's just the idea of when followers of Jesus come together and decide to be the church, we get to be that light, 
right? We get to be the light of the world. We get to do that together. We get to shine the light of Jesus into whatever area or context we find ourselves in. So you'll see some of this language pop up, and I wanted us to be aware of that. Again, I showed you a map last week, so I'll show you that map one more time so you can kind of see where we're at. So last week we talked about Ephesus, which is kind of right in the middle of the screen there. So this week we're actually going to jump up to Smyrna. So we're going to go just a little north and west um, and kind of see where that, again, if you went to the right of this, to your right this way, that would be Turkey. You go this way, you'd hit Greece and then Italy. So church number two is church, the church of Smyrna. So we're going to go to Revelation chapter two. So you can open your Bible or turn on your phone or your tablet or whatever and follow along if you'd like to. If you want, you can go to our follow along tab um, and you'll find all the verses and all the notes there for you. You can also submit a question or a prayer request if you'd like. So in Revelation chapter two, we're going to start in verse eight and we're going to read through verse 11. So here's what it says in Revelation two, eight, write this letter to the angel of the church of Smyrna or the messenger of the church of Smyrna. This is the message from he who is the first and the last, who is dead and now is alive. Verse 9, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Verse 10, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11, anyone who hear, who ha, with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Not necessarily a great message, right, to the church of Smyrna. And I want to give us a little bit of background to help us understand what's going on in this context Anyway, what was life like for the church of Smyrna in that day? And, and one of the things that we can definitely walk away with is that Smyrna was a difficult place for Christians to live. It was not easy. Let me explain what I mean by that. So at this time frame, Rome was in power, right? And they would have been in power for a while already, and they still had a couple hundred years left of establishing their empire, so we know when Jesus was on earth, they were in charge. Fast forward this 50, 60 years, they're still in charge. They're the big dogs. And so they controlled all of this area. And so what would happen is, right, they would kind of keep control, but certain areas, cities, townships, if you were, they would kind of rule themselves and, and they could do some things on their own. But for the most part, Rome would keep an eye on everything. Now, here's what would happen, though. If, if you were an area or a city that was a little bit more cooperative with Rome, they would give you more freedom. And so you could kind of do more of your own thing, not so much overseen by Rome, and they would give you a little bit of leeway if you were cooperative. If you were less cooperative, they were going to show up and they were going to make sure that they could kind of put their thumb on you if you did something wrong. So there would be more military presence. They would make sure that the leadership there was doing what they wanted. Smyrna was a place that was a little bit more cooperative with Rome. And so they had a little bit more freedom than other places. And one of the reasons that they had a little bit more freedom is because they would actually help Rome sure get rid of the... Oh, my watch is talking to me. Cool. That's never happened before. So they would help Rome find out what the church was doing, and then they would come after the church. So remember this. The Jews didn't like Christians at this time because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, 
a lot of Jews were becoming Christians because they believed the lies of Jesus, well, the lies of Jesus according to the Jews, and they didn't agree with what Jesus taught. They didn't like it. So the Jews didn't like the Christians, and they wanted to get rid of the church. The Romans didn't like the Christians because the Romans sometimes liked to worship and offer sacrifices to their leadership as a deity. So when Jesus comes along and Christians believe that he's the only one that they can worship, rightly so, and he's the only one that they should be offering their lives to, and someone comes and says, you need to offer this sacrifice to your leadership of Rome, and they say, no, Rome doesn't like that. Okay, that would be on the non-cooperative side of cooperation. And so neither Rome nor the, nor the Jews liked them. So the, the Jews would kind of play the little brother who would snitch on the Christians. Okay, and they would go tell the Romans when things were going on, and then the Romans could come in and they could take care of them. Okay, so imagine being the church in this situation. You're under a ruler and a, and a nation that wants to kind of keep you down because they don't like what you do. They don't mind the Jews doing what they do, but the Jews don't like you either. You're surrounded by people who don't really like you, and they don't want your worship, your organization to thrive. It was not an easy place. For Christians to be. So let's go back and just read verses uh, 8 and 9 one more time. Verse 8, right? Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and last, who is dead but now is alive. Again, this is coming right from Jesus through John. Verse 9, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Here, here's the first thing I, I want us to see as we dig into particularly verse 9, because this is, this is a rich verse. There's a lot here. The first thing is this, that Jesus identify, identifies with us in our suffering. Notice that Jesus doesn't come in and just, like, he doesn't understand what's happening. He gets it. He has that relationship with the church. He's aware of what's happening. And so when he steps in, he starts to have this conversation from a space of, I get what's going on in your life. So we can look at that and at least say that when we walk through difficult things, Jesus sees that. He is not ignorant to it. It can feel as though when we do go through difficult things that Jesus isn't there. And we wonder if Jesus is away from us or not paying attention to us, and that's why things are going poorly. The opposite can actually be true, that Jesus sees what's happening, and yet he sees it happening for a reason, and we'll get to that in a little bit. He says, I see you in your, in your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. This is interesting. Smyrna was a very rich place. There was a lot, they were a port city. There was a lot of money changing hands. There was a lot of trade going on, and people there generally did pretty well. But Jesus says, I see your poverty. Well, why would these people, why would the church have been poor when the rest of the area would have been rich? Well, maybe because they didn't like them. And so they were not, the business that was done was not done the same way with them. They even had to endure this idea that people didn't want things to do with them, so they didn't have the ability to gain as much money as other people because they were a part of the church. But Jesus says this, but you are rich. What, is, what does that mean? means that they were rich in their knowledge of God. It was rich. They were rich in their love for Christ. They were rich in their ability to follow him. They were rich in the way that they were the church in that area. 
If we, fast, or, sorry, if we rewind back to Ephesus last week, remember I talked about the uh, compliment sandwich? So like Jesus comes in, whenever you have a difficult conversation with somebody, you give them a compliment, and then you talk about the thing that they can work on, and then you give them another compliment, right? That's something that you sometimes do. Jesus kind of did that. He goes, Church of Ephesus, you are really good at knowing the facts. You're really good at this stuff, but you're not so good at this love aspect. Interesting that nothing that he says to Smyrna, he doesn't tell him to work on anything. He doesn't say, you're good at this, but you need to work on that. He says, listen, I get that the area you're in is difficult, that you're suffering and that you're poor, but you are rich. What you're doing is right. What you're doing is correct. You are following me the correct way. He says, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They are Jews. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. That is some harsh language. What does that mean? What is he saying when he says uh, they say they're Jews, but they're not? They were Jewish in, in what they did, but they were this specific area in Smyrna seems that they were a little bit more worried about taking away the church than actually just being the synagogue and worshiping in their way, right? The way we exist today, Synag- people worshiping in synagogue, they worship there, we worship here. We don't have a problem with one another, right? We worship our own, our own ways and we don't bother one another. It's not like somebody hates the other one, right? Not the case back then. So he says, what they're doing is not just being Jews. They have been taken over. They're being led astray, and they're using their religious affiliation to be held against you. So Jesus says, I see your suffering. I know that you are in poverty, but you are rich, and I see what you're going through. And this is important. I think we have to understand that perspective creates contentment. Perspective is everything. When we see with the right perspective, then we're able to navigate what's ahead of us well. And so Jesus sets them up, right? I get what you're going through, but let me tell you what's going to come next. Here's verse 10. Don't be afraid about what you are about to suffer. Now, if somebody walks up to you and says, hey, don't be afraid, what's the first thing you do? Oh, now I'm worried. So thank you for that, right? Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even facing death, I will give you the crown of life. I want us to kind of hear, if we could, how Jesus is having this conversation. He walks in, he's like, imagine he just walks in and sits down with you, right? Don't be afraid. There's some suffering that's going to come. This is what's going to happen. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Very even keel. That's how I, that's how I read it, how I hear it anyway. Very non-alarmist. Very just matter of fact, here's what's going to happen, but... Don't think about that. Think about what is to come. There's something that I think is really ingrained in this passage, and it's very difficult for us to understand, and it is not the most exciting thing to preach about. I'll tell you that, but here's what I think is true from this passage. Persecution is to be expected and accepted as the cost of following Jesus. Now, let me like sit down for a minute. (laughs) Let's let that one sink in. Persecution is to be expected and accepted as the cost of following Jesus. 
why do I think that's where we're going with this? Because think about what Jesus just said, right? I see that you're already in a difficult place, but here's what's coming, right? We know that Jesus suffered more for being him than we will ever suffer for following him. Jesus is clear that this, like when you decide to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean it's all rainbows and butterflies. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be perfect. It's not something that we can just expect that our life is always going to be better because of it. Now, here's what I think is true also. If I, if I was you and I was listening, I would, if I had just said persecution is to be expected as the cost of following Jesus, I think I would have just been like, okay. But I added that word accepted. Now, that can cause us to be a little bit like, well, I don't like that word though. Because when we think about from our perspective, the place we live, the rules we live under, right? If someone were to say that we are going to be treated differently or falsely or even wrongly because we are followers of Jesus, we have a thing called a constitution that's supposed to protect us. So we go, wait a minute, you can't do that to me. That's not right, right? That's not legal. And what I'm saying is I think this message from Jesus goes beyond what's right and legal. I think that when something like this comes, suffering, persecution, whatever that might mean, that we respond differently to it than to just bristle and get upset. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we stay in an abusive situation or something like that if we can leave, right? We don't just subject ourselves to bad treatment just because we want to call it persecution or something like that. But when someone turns on us and treats us differently because we are followers of Jesus, there's a certain level of that where we go, you know what? I think I'm supposed to expect that. Let me give you an example of something that hasn't happened yet, but I kind of think it's coming. Um, one of the, it's, it's a very simple thing. It's a legal thing, but I think I would guess, right? I'm not going to bet on it, but I would guess in the next decade, this may happen. Churches have a 501c3 status currently. If I were to bet, I would bet that would go away in the next decade. Now, why is that, right? Doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem okay. Honestly, the problem is there's uh, there's churches that are 501c3s and they end up spending money on like private jets and stuff. So like the issue is not necessarily us, but people outside the church and inside the church look at that and they go, hang on a minute, you're supposed to not pay taxes so you can help people, right? That doesn't look like helping people. So the, the problem is we look at that and we go, that, that may cause problems. So here's what may happen, right? I don't know, but I'm just saying, what if it did? What if someone, that the rule was, the new legislature was that churches lose 501c3 status, and not even just religious organizations. Christian churches lose 501c3 status. There would be a lot of people that would be mad about that, and I wouldn't be happy about it either. But here's the difference, right? I wouldn't look at that and go, how dare they? How could they? I wouldn't stand up here and preach and be all upset about it. Here's what I would say. Persecution has come, or a decision against us as Christians has come. We've got to figure out a new way around it. Not to skirt it, not to do something illegal, but just to say, hey, listen, the world, Jesus never said the world's going to love us. We've got to find a new way to do this. Where does Jesus say this? Well, let's just go to John 15, 18, where he just says simply this, right? If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. If someone hates us or responds negatively to us because we're a follower of Jesus, we remember they did the same thing to him. Now, let's go back to our verse just for a minute, right? Because here's the part where, where we have to understand. Jesus says, I see that you're suffering. I see your poverty, but you are rich. 
He doesn't say, but you are rich. You're good at following me, and so everything is going to get easier. In fact, he says, you're really good at following me, and things are going to get worse for a while. Here's what's true. Sometimes suffering and persecution is an indication that things are headed in the right direction and not the wrong direction. Any time in history that the church has come under persecution, you know what happens? The church grows. It's happening right now in Asia. It's predicted there would be more Christians there in the next 20 to 30 years than here because our churches aren't under persecution. When churches are under persecution, they grow like crazy. It's why the church grew so fast in the first few years they were around because when the church comes under fire, there is a growth that happens, and sometimes the incredible thing is that suffering and persecution when you're following Jesus actually mean that things are headed in the right direction, and God is going to do some awesome things things. I went and saw, Becca and I went and saw together a couple of weeks ago, um, the new Spider-Man movie. By the way, it's really good. You should go see it. But um, there was a phrase that was said in there by one character over and over and over again. By the way, this is not a spoiler, but I just, I thought it, res- it resonated with me as I thought through this. She kept saying this, if you expect disappointment, you will never be disappointed. If you expect disappointment, if you expect that someone's going to let, let you down, guess what? You're never going to be let down. Now, that's really pessimistic, and I am not a pessimistic person. But here's the point, right? The church in Smyrna could not depend on the government or the people around them to treat them fairly. They, they couldn't. It just wasn't going to be the case. In fact, they knew that bad things were coming, and they had experienced this already. My point is to say this, that when we think about who we're trusting and who our hope is in and where we're finding people that are not going to let us down, people that are not going to turn on us, the person that we can turn to the most is Jesus. He's going to be the one who doesn't change on us. He's going to be the one who doesn't persecute us, right? He's going to be the one who we can run to when other people do let us down. And too often what happens, I think, is that we put expectations and things on leaders, uh, political leaders, whether it's leaders at work, leaders wherever, and we expect them to not let us down, and then all of a sudden they do. But here's the thing. We have to have our eyes focused on Jesus. There's an interesting connection between this passage where Jesus says, you're going to go through temptation for, or sorry, persecution for 10 days. There's an interesting connection here with some verses in Daniel. And I just want to go briefly to Daniel chapter 1. And let me just give you the background of this story, right? Daniel, by the way, faced persecution. He was taken from his home and he was taken to Babylon and he was told, you have to eat what what the leadership there says you have to eat. The problem was he was not allowed to eat it based on his religion. They wasn't allowed to do it. So what he does is he makes a deal with those that are in charge of him. So in Daniel 1 verses 12 and 13, it says this, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Now, here's the thing. A lot of what they were doing was physical work. Like they were going to work out and get strong and get fit and all that stuff. You need protein for that, right? So he's saying, you take out the protein that we're not allowed to eat anyway. We're just going to eat vegetables and drink water and you see how it goes. You see, there was 10 days in Daniel. There was 10 days that Christ says Smyrna is going to suffer. Here's what I believe is true of what God was asking Daniel to do and what he was asking the church of Smyrna to do and what he may even ask us to do is that we would do this. We would allow Jesus to work through our persecution instead of opposing it. 
or that we would allow Jesus to work through our, pers- or our suffering instead of opposing it. That when we walk into a difficult time, when we are in a, a difficult situation, even if it's just simply because we're followers of Jesus, that we would look at that and say, Jesus is doing something in and through me, and I'm going to lean into it rather than lean away from it. This is not easy. It's difficult. One of the cool things right now that's happening in our church, I think, is that our elders are going through, we're working through a book together called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And so one of the things that we do, we just did it on Thursday. We read a couple of chapters of that, and we come around, and we sit together, and we process what we thought through, and we challenge one another, and we pray together, and we learn from what God is teaching each of us as we you know, went through that month, and, and we're processing the information of that book. And one of the quotes that I read in that book, and I'm going to butcher it, but it stood out in my head, was that we usually like to embrace a Jesus that avoids suffering rather than leans into it. Or we want to be around a Jesus who goes away from suffering rather than one who embraces it. And we get this from a story in scripture where Jesus says, I'm going to die. And Peter and some of the other disciples go, no, you're not. You're the Messiah. You're supposed to be the one who stays around. You're supposed to be the one who fixes things. You're supposed to be the one. And Jesus goes, stop it. I have to suffer so that you can be saved. Suffering is a part of following Jesus. And we need to be ready for that. Revelation 2, 11, right? Go back to that last verse to Smyrna. It says this, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Now, I want to key in on that last little phrase, okay? The second death. What, what does that mean? Where does that come from? Jesus never says that we're not going to lose our physical life, right? Our life here on earth. Like, our bodies, are, we're going to die, and this body is not going to last forever, Okay? And so there's this second death. This is where we are going to fast forward in Revelation a little bit and go to some things that are later on. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 12. He says this, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Verse 13, the sea gave up its dead, And death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. So let's call time out and just talk about this. So everyone that has physically died up until that point is going to be called together. So it says if you died at sea, if you died on land, you're you're going to be called into this place. And books are going to be brought out. One is going to be the book of life, and the others are going to have a record of everything we've done. Sounds terrifying. And so, it says in verse 12, the end of verse 12, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So as Jesus is having this conversation with the church of Smyrna, he's saying, listen, there's a day that's going to come when after this persecution, you're, you're all going to, you know, the, the first death is just, it's going to happen, right? You're going to die. But after that, there's going to be a second one. There's going to be a time where you're judged for everything you've ever done. He says, if, if you're really, truly a follower of me and, and we walk through this, the good thing is when you get to this moment where there are books that are laid out and everybody gets to see, everybody gets read everything they've ever done, and you're going to be judged on that. 
He says, you don't have to be afraid. And why is that? Because in verses 14 and 15, it says this, Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So those without their name in the book of life are thrown into the lake of fire because of what they have done. Because of the fact that we're sinners, because of the fact that we cannot be righteous on our own because we have to have a relationship with a holy God and we cannot do that as sinful humans. But if our name is found in the book of life, we get to spend eternity with Christ. And the answer is not, right? If someone were to look at you in that moment and go, what did you do to get your name in the book of life? You would go, nope, I didn't do anything. Jesus did it all. I deserve to have my name in those books. But because I know Jesus, my name is in this book. And because I walked through the difficulties of life and I continued to follow Jesus and I was faithful to him and, and understanding and building a relationship with him and that took root in me and I lived in a way that said Jesus was my Lord and Savior. And I lived out of this space, right? Not because I was able to do it, but because he made the change in me. I get to find my name there because of Jesus. Jesus says, when you're a follower of me, all of the stuff that you walk through on earth is nothing. Because at the second death, when everybody else is judged on what they did, you get judged on what Jesus did. And you don't have to fear that moment. That's why perspective creates contentment. When we find ourselves in suffering or persecution and we're thinking forward to that place where we get to just find our name in Jesus and we get to spend eternity with him, what happens to us here doesn't matter. I was reading something recently, and there was a short interview uh, with a boy who was 18 at the time, and he had been either dropped or fallen, I can't remember, when he was like one year old. And he had broken some bones in his back, and because of that, he was never able to walk on his own. He spent all his time in a wheelchair, and he had surgery after surgery, and actually, he, they asked him, you're 18 years old, how many years do you think you've spent in a hospital? And he said, I think I've been in a hospital 13 of my 18 years. It's a long time. And he was a Christian follower of Jesus. And so they said to him, why are you not mad at God, right? Why, why are you, your young life, you spent all this time in the hospital, why are you not mad at him? He goes, God's got all of eternity to make that up to me. I, however long I live here, right? Difficulty. I got all of eternity to lean into that. That's the promise on the other side. And where we have to get to, what we have to understand as our perspective is our life on earth cannot be our most important asset. Remember, he says, I see that you're suffering. I see that you're, you're in poverty to the church of Smyrna, but you are rich. Why? Because it's not based on our life here and everything that's attached to that. It's based on the perspective we have to understand what is offered to us when we find our name in the book of life because of what Jesus did for us. There's such an important verse I want to go to really quick. Matthew 10, 28 says this. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now this verse is, um, can be very comforting and also terrifying at the same time, right? 
Because it says, don't fear people. Like, if they want to take your life, they can do nothing to you. But fear God. What, what are we talking about? Are we talking about this terrible fear where we're scared of him? No. We don't need to be scared of him because of what Jesus did for us. However, fearing and understanding, having a healthy fear of the consequences of life based on who God is rather than who man is, is very important. And understanding that he has control over everything we go through should cause us to lean into him. And, and when bad things happen, it's not because God isn't there or Jesus isn't connected to us. It's because things could actually be headed in the right direction. And God wants to do something amazing in and through our suffering and even possibly our persecution. Sometimes when I get to the end of a conversation, I, I love to give you guys like a thing we should do, right? Or a phrase to hold on to or something to like walk away this week. Here's the difficult thing about this one, right? I don't know what this looks like for each of us. Some of us may look at this and go, oh, I remember at the exact time somebody treated me differently because I was a Christian. For some of us, we might go, that's actually not necessarily, that's never necessarily happened to me. Like specifically because I was a Christian, I don't, I don't necessarily have that happen. And so at some point, this is going to happen. But, but we have to just have, it's about perspective building today and understanding what this means. And so I, I just want to say this. Following Jesus means that our trust, our contentment, and our hope fall squarely on his shoulders. That when we decide to follow Jesus, it means we, our trust ultimately falls to him. Our contentment is ultimately defined by our relationship with him. And our hope ultimately falls on his shoulders. If we base those things on other people, other things, they're going to let us down. It's not going to hold up. But if we do this with Jesus, he promises to never let us down. I don't know what this is going to look like for us as a church moving forward, for you as an individual moving forward. I don't know. I don't know what that suffering is going to be like. I don't know what persecution may come. But perspective is everything. And seeing what happens here on earth as minimal compared to what's to come is so very important in how we view the things that happen to us here. People are going to treat us poorly here. We're going to die, right? There's going to be suffering that happens here. But when we stand before God and they bring out those books, if our name is in the book of life, we will not be judged by what we've done but by what Jesus did for us. That's where we find hope. That's how we walk through the difficult days. And I would challenge anyone who's here, or I guess we're not live right now, but later, like, if you're listening to this on the podcast or you're, you found us on YouTube, whatever, if you're not sure that when that day comes that your name is in that book of life, have a conversation with somebody. Talk to a friend. Find out what that means. Because you don't want to get to that day and not be there. And we want you to be there alongside of those of us who know they will find their name in the book that day. Let's pray as we wrap up our time this morning. Lord, these are not easy conversations to have. It's not easy to say that we're going to expect persecution and we're going to accept it. It's not easy to wrap our minds and heads around deciding to do something that could be difficult. 
But we do ask that whatever suffering or persecution may come to us, that we would have the correct perspective, that we would understand and have that moment in mind where we see the years on earth as so small compared to eternity, and that we would simply lean into you and allow you to work in and through our suffering because we know that we will spend eternity with you thanks to the work you did on the cross. I ask that that truth would just sink deep into who we are and that it would change our perspective of our lives here on earth in light of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.